Good morning. My name is Brian Parks, and I'm the senior pastor here at Covenant Hope Church. And I'm delighted you have gathered with us this morning, whether you are a member of this church or whether you're a visitor. Uh, we are just so happy that you're here to sing God's praises, to pray with us, and to study God's Word. And I pray that it's fruitful in your life this morning. There's a little book that I really love. It's called The Screwtape Letters, written by a man named C.S. Lewis. And in The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes from the perspective of a senior demon in Satan's demonic troops or, or, uh, or forces. And this senior demon is writing to a junior demon. And he writes him different letters coaching him and giving him advice on how to tempt and cause spiritual problems for a particular man that has just become a Christian. It's very interesting. And I want to read to you just one of the letters. This is a letter that um, the senior demon, Screwtape, is writing to this lesser demon named Wormwood. And here's what he says. My dear Wormwood, I note with grave displeasure that your patient has become a Christian. Do not indulge the hope that you will escape the usual penalties. Indeed, in your better moments, I trust you would hardly even wish to do so. In the meantime, we must make the best of the situation. There is no need to despair. Hundreds of these adult converts have been reclaimed after a brief sojourn in the enemy's camp and are now with us. All the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. Well, the letter goes on, and Screwtape gives Wormwood advice about how to trip up the patient. The patient, of course, is the man who has just become a Christian. You know, when God saves us, He applies the blood of Jesus Christ to us, and it washes away our guilt and covers over our sin and enables us to be reunited with God in a perfect love relationship with Him. But God doesn't leave us there because just like the patient in the passage that I just read to you from the Screwtape Letters, when we first become Christians, all of our habits, both mental and bodily, are still trained towards a life of rebellion against God. So God begins the work in us to transform and shape us, to take that salvation that He's given us, that's assured us, and make it show up in our lives. And that's what the passage that we're studying about this morning is. Paul is giving instructions to the Philippians about God's work of applying the salvation that He's given them into their lives. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. That's in the New Testament, if you're not familiar with the Bible. And if you're struggling to find it, 
Uh, you can look in the table of contents. Every Bible has a table of contents and will tell you how to get to different places there. We're in chapter 2. That's the big number 2 and the little number 12. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. What's more, you've revealed the way of salvation to us. We praise you and pray that you would give us ears to hear you this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, the big idea that I want you to see that's in this passage is in that simple instructional phrase that Paul gives the Philippians. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation. That's really the main point of all these verses. Now, each of the points that I'm going to walk us through throughout the rest of our time together this morning are either reasons for working out your salvation or ways to work it out. Reasons for working out your salvation or ways to. And I have four for you this morning. The first one is work out your salvation in God's mighty power. In God's mighty power. That's verse 13. Work out your salvation in patient contentment. Patient contentment. That's in verses 14 and 15. Work out your salvation in honor of spiritual leaders. That's in verse 16. And lastly, work out your salvation in joyful sacrifice. Paul talks about that in verses 17 and 18. In joyful sacrifice. In God's mighty power, in patient contentment, in honor of spiritual leaders, and in joyful sacrifice. We're to work out our salvation. Our passage today begins with the word therefore. And so it's important that we know what came before what Paul is just about to tell the Philippians. He's just urged them to live humbly together, guided by the mindset of Jesus. And he goes on to describe that mindset of Jesus in those verses, verses 1 through 11 in chapter 2. He says that Jesus, though he was equal with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus is fully God and still is fully God to this very day. And yet, Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself by being obedient to God the Father to go to the cross and to die. 
there on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for the sins of all people who would repent and believe in Him. So Jesus' mindset led Him in obedience to the cross and to death. But God, being pleased with His sacrifice, raised Him from the dead and has given Jesus the name that is above every other name in the universe. Jesus is therefore Lord of all. And everyone, everywhere, throughout all of time, will bow the knee to Him and confess Him as Lord and Savior. Some will do it willingly with joy. Some have done it in the past. Many of us have done it already. Some will do it in the future, but on the day of Christ, there will be many there who have already willingly and joyfully bowed the knee and confessed Christ, Jesus, as Lord. But there will be others on that day as well who have not done that, who didn't do that in the past. And they will on that day do the same thing, bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord. Only they will do it begrudgingly and with terror in their hearts because judgment is coming. Jesus went from the heights of glory in heaven to the depths of a shameful human death on a cross. And finally, God raised him up to the position of exalted power and authority over everything and everyone. Therefore, that's the word of Paul there in verse 12. Therefore, Paul says, in light of Christ's obedience and the salvation that he's given you, you too should obey and work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now we're going to talk about this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to explore that statement in depth in just a moment. But first we have to look at the words and phrases that come before it. So first, Paul sets a fatherly tone at the beginning of verse 12. He refers to the Philippians as his beloved. You know, we've already heard about Paul, uh, read Paul speaking to the Philippians in chapter 1. And he says to them that he has affection for them, the affection of Christ Jesus for them. So we know of his love for them. And he continues that fatherly tone in these verses by reminding them that since they've always obeyed in the past, and as they've always obeyed, so now, now that he's not with them, he's going to urge them to obedience much more in my absence, he says. That's literally what he says, much more in my absence. You know, it's like a child who's eager to obey when the parents are nearby, but they need extra encouragement to obey when their authority is absent. It's the same thing here. Paul is encouraging them with the heart of a father, a spiritual father. And then he instructs them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But wait a minute, you say to me. Wait a minute, Brian, I thought that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are not saved by our works. You teach us that week in and week out. What is up with this? You would be right to say that we teach that week in and week out. And you would be right that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we're not saved by our works. The scriptures teach that without a doubt. But Paul is not saying here that we're saved by working for our salvation. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he's already affirmed to the Philippians that they have salvation throughout the letter that we've read 
prior to this. In chapter 1, in fact, he reminds them that God will complete the good work that he's done in them. That's in verse 6. He's also said that they are partakers of grace with him. That's in verse 7. And then in verse 27, he reminds them that their gospel unity in the face of opposition from the outside is a, very, is a sign of their salvation. So Paul is very clear already that the Philippians, he believes, are saved people. They're Christians. They are in Christ. But then Paul adds another troubling phrase. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's up with that? Is Paul saying that the Philippians should be nervous and insecure about their salvation? That they should be terrified that they might lose it at the last minute right before Jesus comes back? No. He's not saying that they should be nervous and insecure about their salvation. That would also contradict the assurance and the security that he's emphasized in the letter so far and throughout the rest of his epistles and the Bible for that matter. So what is Paul saying in these phrases? The apostle wants the Philippians not just to start with Christ, he wants them to continue with Christ. Not just to start with Christ, to continue with Christ. So working out their salvation with fear and trembling is about continuing with Christ. Now I want to tell you two big theological words. There may be words that you've heard before. The first one is justification. I don't know why most big theological words have at least four syllables, but they do. Justification is the theological word that describes our start with Christ. Sanctification is the next word that I want to teach you. Sanctification is the word that describes the process of God transforming us into increasingly holy people. So in these phrases right here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul is talking about sanctification. He's talking about the second big theological word. He's saying, Christ has saved you through your faith in Him. Now, work to see that salvation transform you. Work to see that very salvation change you. And he adds that they should do this with fear and trembling because, guess what? Sanctification happens by the mighty power of God. Look with me at verse 13. Paul goes on to say, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That's the first point this morning that describes how we work out our salvation. We work it out in God's mighty power. So sanctification or becoming more holy like Christ happens in God's mighty power. And that's the reason to to walk with Christ, to grow in Christ with fear and trembling. It is an awesome and incredible thing that the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the stars and black holes and comets, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, that God is at work in each and every believer to sanctify them, to transform them. Justification happens by God's work and initiative only. He justifies us apart from anything that we do. He is the one who sovereignly reaches in and takes our dead hearts 
and pulls them out and replaces them with living hearts or regenerated hearts. That's what we say in theological terms. So there's other places in the scripture, for example, where Paul says we, are, we were dead in our trespasses and our sins. Guess what? Dead people can't make themselves alive again. You talk to any medical professional in the emergency medical professional field and they've never encountered a person whose heart is stopped who then reaches up and begins to perform CPR on themselves. It just doesn't happen. It requires someone from the outside to take the initiative to bring them back to life. And it's the same way with us in justification. God is the one in His sovereign initiative who regenerates our hearts. And when He regenerates our hearts, then we're drawn to Him so that when we hear the gospel, we repent and put our faith and trust in Christ. That's the way it works. That's justification. But sanctification involves our work as well as God's work. He sanctifies us through our desires, our decisions, our actions, our thoughts, our words, our work, as Paul terms it here, our work. Do you see that in verse in the verse, how God's mighty power even gives us the will or the desire to grow in holiness. Do you see that there in verse 13? It says, He works in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So even when you want to grow in Christ, you just have the, the inclination to grow in Christ. You haven't done a thing to grow, but you have the inclination to. That's God working in you. That's God working in you. And that same mighty power that justified you now energizes our work in the process of justification. So I want to tell you about three mistakes. There's at least three mistakes that we can make when we think about sanctification, the process of growing more holy. At least three. There's probably more, but here are three. First of all, some of you have not surrendered your life to Christ yet. You're not a Christian. And you know what? You are welcome here. It is fantastic that you're coming. We're so glad. And you're wondering to yourself about these verses, perhaps, or maybe anything that we've studied in the Scripture so far in Philippians. But I want to tell you, none of these verses actually apply to you as you sit as not a Christian. None of them apply to you. God's mighty power isn't working in you to make you holy. But it can be. But it can be. You need to receive the salvation that Christ offers us as a first step. You need to receive that. Don't try to put any of the instructions in this passage into practice before you repent of your sin and trust in Christ for your salvation. That's the first step. You know, God created you and I to know Him and experience His love, to live as His beloved, as Paul refers to the Philippians. But we've all gone our own way. We've lived outside of God's rule and His love. We've removed ourselves from His love. To live apart from God's rule and His love is to be condemned to eternal death. But God sent Christ to pay the penalty for our sin, and then to woo us back to Himself. Do you see the sin in your life? 
Do you see your sin against God? Begin the journey with Christ by trusting in Him right now. You can do it right now, where you sit. Repent of your sin and put your trust in Him. Now, some of you might be tempted to think, okay, I'm a Christian. It's God's job to save me, and He's done that. But now, it's my job alone to work hard to become holy. God did the first part. He got me started. And now I need to become holy on my own. It's my work. He did His part. Now I do my part. Well, these verses ought to fill you with hope. God's mighty power is at work in you to transform you. God didn't forgive your sin and then leave you on your own to do the rest. He's at work in you. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Work out your salvation with confidence and assurance of God's continual hand at work in your life. Now, others of you are tempted to think that since God is the one who saved you through the blood of Christ... There's nothing else for you to do. I mean, you need to just wait on God. You may know the saying, just let go and let God. Maybe that's your phrase. Maybe that's your motto. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't sanctify you apart from your work. We don't just wait for a bright beam of God's sanctifying light to shine on us and suddenly make us holy. It doesn't work like that. Do you want to become more mature in Christ? Do you want to experience more of the satisfaction and the joy of greater godliness? Put your hand to the plow. Take decisions to grow. Get up in the morning to meet with God in His Word. Meet with other believers to pray and hold each other accountable. Fight sin when temptation is battering you. Don't be passive. Strive for godliness. God is at work through you to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now, turning back to our passage, we see that Paul points out a specific way that the Philippians are to work out their salvation. He says that they should work it out in patient contentment. And the way he phrases it is there in verses 14 and 15. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. This is one of the ways that we work out our salvation. J.C. Ryle, the famous Liverpool, uh, England bishop, he was a bishop in Liverpool, England, once said this, the highest degree of faith is to be able to wait, to sit still, and not complain. Let me say it again. The highest degree of faith is to be able to wait, to sit still, and not complain. You see, the Philippians are dealing with internal discord and division. And Paul knew that wherever there is selfish ambition or conceit, grumbling and disputing won't be far behind. Paul is intentionally here using language in these verses that's drawn from the Old Testament. Of course, in our reading earlier from Exodus, we read about the Israelites grumbling and complaining against Moses. And God made it clear they weren't just complaining against their leader. They were complaining and grumbling against him. They were sinning against Moses and they were sinning against God more importantly. 
Later, after 40 years of wandering in the desert because of their refusal to obey God, Moses refers to the Israelites in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. Listen for words and phrases that Paul's using here in these verses. Deuteronomy 32, 5 says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no, no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. You see that you hear the words that Paul's using here? Only Paul is saying if they do everything without grumbling and disputing, they will be working out their salvation. And they'll be blameless and innocent then. They'll be they will be children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Beloved, I'm confident that there is not a single person in this room that has not fallen into grumbling and disputing. Hmm? Sheikh Zayed Road? The bureaucracy of some municipality office? Maybe even your company? Do you have ongoing disputes with your spouse that you keep sweeping under the rug without really resolving it? Youth! I want to speak to you as well. If you believe that you're a Christian, if you believe that you've repented and trusted in Christ, why do you not fight against the urge to complain to your parents? Now, this verse doesn't mean that spouses can't bring up a legitimate complaint or an issue for discussion between the two of them. It's not what that means. But there is a godly way to do that and there is an ungodly way to do that. But this grumbling and complaining, what are we to do? Beloved, we must repent. We must repent when we catch ourselves grumbling and disputing. You know, it's the new normal in my life as senior pastor that God exposes my sin based on whatever passage I'm going to preach on in the upcoming Friday. Yes, it's a privilege that the Lord is giving me. Numerous times this past week, my thoughts turned to this command about grumbling and disputing against a situation that I was in or, or with someone that I was with. And in each case, I needed to repent. And I, I needed to literally ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? I, I shouldn't have complained. I shouldn't have grumbled. When we fight the urge to complain or argue with one another. We are working out our salvation. And we, when we do that, will stand out in the world as God's children. We'll be different. Look at the end of verse 15. He says, in the, when you do that, you will be standing out in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Again, Paul is drawing from Old Testament scripture to paint a picture of salvation worked out. The verses that uh, uh, Alana read to us this morning talk about arise and shine. It talks about the people of God shining brightly. There's many verses like that in the Old Testament. In fact, in Daniel chapter 12, it's speaking about the resurrection, the day when Christ will come back and everyone will be raised to judgment. And in verse 3 of Daniel 12, it says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. 
Do you hear that language that Paul's pulling into his instruction to the Philippians? Our resolve not to grumble and dispute is a powerful witness in the world that constantly grumbles and disputes around us. I don't know if you've had a chance to go out into the desert at night and to sit up on the top of a sand dune. And what's really great about being out there in the desert is that all the light pollution from Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Sharjah is far away. And when it gets dark, it gets dark. And then you can look up into the skies and see the amazing, the amazing portrait of stars and planets up there. And they are just absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. That is the picture of what Christians doing everything without grumbling or disputing are like in the midst of the world which constantly grumbles and disputes. We're like bright shining stars, bright witnesses to the God who loves us and provides for us at every turn. This week, work out your salvation by resolving to fight the urge to grumble and argue no matter what your situation, no matter where you are. Paul continues describing how salvation is worked out in verse 16. And here he describes another reason, a motivation for the Philippians to work on their sanctification. And it's quite personal and perhaps surprising. It's that they should work out their salvation in honor of spiritual leaders. Look at verse 16. He says, They would be holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Well, Paul is so bold as to urge them to persevere in their faith so that he can boast in them on the day of judgment. Of course, we live the life of faith, working out our salvation for the glory of God first and foremost, but Paul's not afraid to let them know that he doesn't want his ministry and their lives to have been for nothing. And that's what he means when he says that he might run in vain or he might labor in vain. I want to ask you a question. Has anyone invested in your life? Spiritually, I mean. Has anyone helped you to grow? Has anyone offered godly and wise counsel that helped you work out your salvation? to be transformed into a more mature Christian. Do it all the more so that they will be proud of you on the day of Christ. They may not be in your life right now. They may be someone long past. You don't have any contact with them. But if they have trusted in Christ, they will be there on the day of Christ. And they will get to be proud of you for your growth in the Lord. Those of you who are parents, you know what it's like when your children demonstrate growth and good character. That when they serve a sibling, when they speak kind words to you or other people, it's so encouraging to us as parents. It helps us to know that our parenting isn't going to waste. You know what? It's the same way in spiritual parenting. It's the same way. It's early in the life of our little church here, Covenant Hope. But you know what? I feel the same way that Paul did about the Philippians. I feel it about you all. And I don't want to shepherd you in vain. I don't want to preach to you in vain every week. On the day of Christ, I want to stand there 
and give an account, I'm going to have to give an account for my shepherding over you. Can I be really bold with you? Persevere in Christ. Work out your salvation so that I can be proud of you on that day. Well, finally, Paul returns in verses 17 and 18 to the idea of his imprisonment and his likely execution. And he relates both his life and the lives of the Philippians to the process of sanctification. He's urging them to work out their salvation here in joyful sacrifice. That's the fourth descriptor of working out your salvation. In joyful sacrifice. He says in verses 17 and 18, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You know, it's interesting that again, Paul is drawing from the Old Testament here to describe to them what it means for him and for them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So a drink offering, which he refers to here. He refers to himself as a drink offering. It was usually wine that would be poured over a slaughtered animal that was going to be burned up on the altar in the temple of the Lord. And the wine would add to the aroma as the meat was being burned. And so Paul is describing here the giving up of his life as a drink offering being poured out on top of the Philippians' lives of faith being sacrificed for God. And he proclaims that his joy is there and deep at the prospect of him giving his life up for them along with them giving up their life for Christ. The working out of our salvation is a joyful sacrifice that we make to honor and worship God. So some of you might remember Romans chapter 12. It says in the very first verses, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Just as Christ sacrificed himself to redeem us to God, we joyfully sacrifice our lives every day to worship Him. We're living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God when we work out our salvation. We do all of this, of course, to please Him, which Paul mentions up in verse 13. It's for His good pleasure, not to earn His love, but to return love to Him who has already loved us in Christ. Have you embraced sanctification and joyful sacrifice? What are you willing to give up to work out your salvation? What are you willing to give up? An extra half hour in the morning with God and His Word? Those puny, and powerless idols that waste your time and dim the bright light of your faith? Or is it your independence? Living on the fringes of Christian community? 
you know what? Your resistance to truly link arm, arms with others here at Covenant Hope Church and get down to the nitty-gritty hard work of growing together in Christ, is that what you're reluctant to give up? Walking in faith is a sacrifice, but it's a joyful sacrifice for Paul, and it should be for us as well. Is it your attitude to work out to be growing in Christ? Let me say that again. Is that your attitude toward the work of growing to be more like Christ? If you detect an absence of joy in living out your faith, I want to tell you just three simple ways that you can take steps to correct your attitude. How can you see joy flood into your heart as you follow Christ? Number one, sing. Sing God's praises. Make sure you're singing in our gatherings. Don't just listen to others or mouth the words. I know we're a rather small group in a large room, but God is the one that you're singing to. And you're also singing so that we can hear the truths said out loud by one another. Sing at home. Sing in your car. Sing songs that recount God's faithfulness. Sing songs that talk about His power at work in us. Sing and sing loudly. Sing unashamedly. Okay, I know some of you can't sing. You think you can't sing. But that's why the Bible says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. <laughs> sing. Sing for the joy of fellowship with Him. Number two, daily express your thanks to God and to others. Oftentimes, joy is not there in our lives because we're not thanking Him. We're not recognizing all that we have to be thankful for. Don't just go to God with your requests. Go to God with your thanks. Make lists on paper. Speak them out loud in prayer. Ask one another what they're thankful for, what they've been thankful for lately. Use your prayers before meals to thank God, not just for the food, but maybe for the others that are gathered around you, even if they're not Christians. Thank God for the mercies that He provides for us every single day. Number three, Memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 162 says, I rejoice in your word like one who discovers a great treasure. When we hide God's word in our hearts, that treasure is close by. Close by for the Holy Spirit to pull out at any moment when we need it. God's promises and revelation are a treasure to us. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13 are two verses that I've committed to memory, more through repeated readings than any kind of memorization plan. But the truth behind those verses, can, it gives me great joy when the Holy Spirit brings them to my mind. It reminds me that God is at work in me, even when I even want to follow Him, when I want to grow in holiness and godliness. If God has saved you through repentance and faith in Christ, how is it showing up and showing out in your life? What desires do you have to become more holy? What efforts are you making with God's mighty power at work in you? If you're a real Christian, not a Christian in name only, God is at work in you. Are you living in patient contentment with your life situation? Many of us are in difficult situations right now, and yet we're called to live in patient contentment nevertheless? Are you fighting the temptation to grumble and dispute 
against God Himself. You were meant to shine like stars against the pitch black backdrop of the world. Are you honoring your spiritual leaders with a life of obedience? Their ministry in your life and your faithfulness will be reason for celebration on the day of Christ. Are you rejoicing even as you lay down your life for Christ day in and day out? Working out your salvation? It's meant to be a joyful task. If your zeal for being sanctified is waning, I want to encourage you, look to Christ. Look to Christ, who in those incredible verses leading up to our passage this morning, he recounts to us how Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the form of a servant, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God has exalted him to the highest place now. And through the Spirit, he is at work in us, bringing glory to the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that when you applied the blood of Christ to us, when you washed away our guilt, when you robed us in your righteousness, you didn't just leave us in that state. Lord, we had so many old habits from the old life. We kept wanting to put on the clothing of the old life, so to speak. And yet you continue to work in us through your mighty power. Oh Lord, will you do it all the more so that we will shine like bright, shining lights in the sky in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. In Christ's name, amen.